name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you would, this morning. This is our second Sunday in our missions, in our fall missions emphasis. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to talk about how it is that we can maximize our impact to, inf- to affect the world around us. Now, in Acts chapter 17, there's a story, and it's the story of Paul visiting the city of Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, we, we read that Paul has great success when he enters into this city. Lots of people, lots of God-fearing Gentiles put their trust in Jesus and begin to follow him. But the Jews of the city, who at first, I guess, or maybe you're excited to hear Paul, they become jealous of all these Gentiles who are beginning to follow Jesus. And so they turn against Paul and against his team. And they, uh, it says they rouse up some of the wicked people of the city to turn against them. And they lead riots against the, the people who are now believing in Jesus. And so they arrest or they gather some of them, Jason being among them, and they take them to the authorities. And when they get them before the authorities, they accuse Paul and his team of something. In verse 6, this is what it says. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. Let me one more time, let me just read that comment. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Weymouth translates this, these fellows who have turned the world topsy-turvy. Now, they mean this as a negative accusation against Paul and his men. But you can imagine what a great compliment for a follower of Jesus. Would it not be such a great compliment to say they've turned the world upside down? What, what What could someone say better about us as a family or about you individually that you have managed to turn let's just say your community upside down, your business upside down, your, your co-workers, your, your place of employment, you've managed to turn it upside down for Christ. What a great compliment that would be. And what a compliment it would be for us as a family if God were to say, if people around us, not God, of course, if he said it, that's even better. But if people around us said, we, that church down there that has turned Surrey and Smithfield upside down, down. Now, I don't have any illusions. Listen carefully. I don't have any illusions, really, that our church could turn the world topsy-turvy. But when I was practicing this morning, I, I felt like God said, Jimmy, if I wanted to, I could use you guys to turn the world upside down. And, and I was convicted by my statement. But I, I don't have any great illusions that, that, that somehow or another, the, you know, people in Bangladesh would know about us here in, in rural Surrey, Surrey County. But, but I, I do want to tell you that I have a desire to, to maximize our influence and our am, impact so that it radiates out from us and it affects our county. And it affects the county where half of you are from down there in Isle of Wight. And it affects, listen, and it affects even the world. I mean, that we would have some impact in the world somewhere. Man, I, I want to maximize our impact. And so on this mission's emphasis in the fall, I want to talk to us about how do we do that. 
Now, Acts 17 tells us that Paul did it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us how he did it. So that's why I want you to turn there. So Paul has left the city. He, he, you remember when they turned the town against them, he left at night with, his, uh, with some of his followers, some of his team. They left at night. He didn't go back. But he, he, man, this city really was impacted by him, and he was impacted by this city, and it wasn't long. He wrote them a letter, and that's the letter which we call 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in this letter that he writes back to the city, I, I want you to know, I believe that he tells them how it is that his impact was so great on them, so strong, so consequential, so turning the world upside down in Thessalonica. And I, and I would suggest to us that this is how he turned the world upside down, not just in Thessalonica, but everywhere he went. I want to suggest that he did these same things, and I'm going to put them out there for us. And I'm going to say, look it, if we're going to maximize our impact, if we're going to change the world around us, we need to do what Paul did. We need to follow his example as he followed Christ. So here it is. This is how we marshal our impact to affect the world in the greatest in the greatest way. I have seven, I have seven principles that I want to share with you. And, I, and I'm hoping and praying that the Spirit of God will just take these words and He Himself will just somehow rivet them to our hearts and change our hearts where our hearts need to be changed and where we need to get on board and say, yep, I need to be a part of that. So let's just dive in. Here's the first one. If we're going to change the world, if we're going to marshal our impact, we, we have to have a good a good story. I, I wrote it down as a good declaration, but we have to have good news. We have to have something good to say. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, that's where he came from to Thessalonica, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. He says, we were emboldened to speak, and your Bible says the word gospel there. And by the way, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, if you're, if you're using a, an electronic Bible, if you want to follow along exactly. But, but the word gospel there is just, we're lifting up the Greek word and we're making it an English word. The Greek word is good news. So when they read this, in, in, when they read this in Thessalonica, this is what they read. Emboldened by our God to speak the good news of God to you in spite of great opposition. The key to having an impact in this county and the one beside us and around the world is that we have to share this good news that God has given us. We have to have a good news declaration. And I want to tell you what the good news is. Here's what the good news is. It is the same good news that Jesus preached when he was here. It is that the kingdom of God has come, that Jesus is king, and that he has a kingdom, and he is inviting everybody to be a part of that kingdom. That's what Jesus preached. That was the good news. Now, the fulfillment and the reason why we can be a part of the kingdom is that Jesus would die for us, and he would live his perfect life, offer it as a substitute for our death, and die for us, okay? But the good news is that God has a kingdom, and he's inviting everyone everywhere all over the world to be a part of his kingdom. If we want to marshal our greatest impact, we've got a good news story to tell, and we need to tell it. It's just that simple. Now, I know it's hard to tell that story. You know why it's hard to tell that story? Because you can't prove it. 
And it sounds fanciful to many people. And it sounds like pie in the sky. And it sounds like a fairy tale, like our brothers from Somalia wanted to know. Is this just a fairy tale that some white people told us? Or, or is this a true story, right? Well, people are saying the same thing to us when we tell the story. This is just a fairy tale that you're believing. But it's not a fairy tale. It, it, is, a, it is a true story. And we have good story, a good news story to tell. And we need to tell it. And, and here's the deal, guys. It's you can either pr- protect your reputation and not look foolish, or you can choose to be faithful to Jesus and you can tell the story. And that's why it's so hard, because we don't want to look foolish. But hey, listen, if Jesus really is Lord, and Jesus really did create a kingdom that you and I get to be a part of for, forever and forever, I mean, we've got such good news to tell. Now, notice two things. Notice two things that Paul says about his telling the good news story. He says, God emboldened them from their time in Philippi. Here's what I want to say to you. If you're willing today to have a good declaration, if you're willing to have a good story to tell, and you're willing to tell it, if you do, if you are, God will embolden you. Ask him for his help. Ask him, say, God, strengthen me, embolden me, that I might be one to share the story. Ask him for courage, and he'll give it to you. Even though he says, and here's the other thing, you will be opposed in sharing your story. Now, most people in the world who are suppressing the truth of God, that God's revealed to them both in creation and in their own hearts, they're going to try to suppress the truth of Jesus. So when you tell the story, they're going to make fun. They're going to belittle you. None of us will experience the opposition that Paul, that I know of. None of us will experience the opposition that Paul experienced. We may be ridiculed. We may lose our job. We, we may, something like that may happen. But you can expect that people aren't going to just readily get on board with your good story. You're going to be opposed, but it's okay because God will embolden you. I'm telling you, everyone, if we're going to maximize our impact, we have got to decide. We've got a good news story to tell, and we've got to be willing uh, to tell it. Here's the second principle. We've got to be faithful messengers to the good news story that God has given us. So look at verse 3. Paul says, For our exhortation didn't come to you from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. If we're, going to be, if we're going to make a difference, if we're, going to, if we're going to muster our greatest impact in the world around us, we've got to decide, a bunch of us have got to decide, all of us have got to decide, I need to be faithful to share this good news story. It's up to me. And look, look at what Paul says. We have been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with this good news. And when somebody entrusts something to you, now listen, when they're entrusting something to you, they're expecting you to be faithful with it. They're expecting you to, to honor that entrustment and do with it what you're supposed to do with it, which is in our case, we're supposed to tell people this good news. That's the expectation that you be faithful. And that's why Paul is saying, if we're going to make this difference, we, we do it not to please people, He says, but we do it to please God. Did you see that? We've been entrusted. We've been approved by God. And so we preach the gospel. We share the good news, not to please people, but rather to please God. Until we realize that this calling of God is for each one of us, you're not going to speak up. 
If you continue to think that it's all for me and not for you, or all for Pastor Michael, or all for the extreme extroverts in our group, it's for them to, them to share the message. And if you do that, you're never going to be involved in maximizing our impact. You've got to realize that it's for you. It's for every one of you in this room who follow Jesus. You've got a good declaration, a good story, a good news to tell, and you need to be faithful to be telling it. Now notice what Paul says here. He says, as faithful messengers, we speak the truth. He says, our message wasn't an error. Guys, when you tell the truth about Jesus, even though you can't prove it, you have to walk by faith. You are speaking the truth. Don't be scared to speak the truth. You're speaking the truth. You're not speaking from error. As a faithful messenger, we speak from a pure heart, not from impure motives. I don't know about you, but when I'm telling people about Jesus, I, it's not from anything I can get from them. I, I have no impure motives for, for, by which I share the story of Jesus. I, I don't have any impure motives. What would they be? And that, well, they could be greed, as we'll see in a minute. As faithful messengers, we speak sincerely, not trying to deceive anyone. I, I'm not trying to deceive anyone. I just want to be faithful to tell the good news story that, that, hey, that there's a kingdom out there that you can be a part of. And like David prayed, and I so appreciated your prayer and your thoughts, David, about how we have hope beyond this. In the Old Testament, there's a story that probably most of you know well, but it's the story of a young girl. She's probably, probably in her teens, and she's beautiful, and her name is Esther. And she's chosen, she's chosen as people walk through the city, she's chosen because of her beauty to be one of the king's queens, one of the king's wives. And she's Jewish, and she goes in there, and she becomes the king's wife. And I think she actually comes to a preeminent place there amongst the, the wives of the king. And, uh, and there comes a time where her people, the Jewish people, are under attack, and uh, so her uncle goes to her. You know the story. Her uncle goes to her and he says, look, you need to go in and speak to the king on behalf of your people. I mean, they don't even know she's Jewish. And, uh, and she's like, hey, I can't go into the king. I'm not, I have to be invited. I can't just go in. And, uh, and he says to her, I know you're scared. He says, but you know what? God's probably placed you at that spot right there so that you can do this. So therefore, be faithful at it, he says to Esther. But he goes on to say this, which is really cool. He says, you know, you have a choice. You can be faithful to God, but if you don't do it, God's going God's gonna to do it somehow. He's going to do it with someone else, but you have an opportunity to be faithful. And so I want to say to all of us, listen, I mean, you may not, but God will still be faithful. I mean, he'll still get, I mean, he, God is still going to have faithful people. But, but my challenge to all of us today is let's be faithful. Let's maximize the impact of this Bacon's Castle family by all of us saying, we've got a good story to tell, a good declaration. And it's, it behooves all of us to be faithful, all of us to get out there and tell, and tell this story. That leads us to the third principle. It's a pure motivation. Here's how, we, here's how we change the world. Here's how we turn the world upside down. We, we do it from a pure motivation. Verse 5. We, we ha, for we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't, speak, we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So here's the first Here's the first complaint people will hurl against us. And you know what it is. All we want is their money. All we want is their money. Um, you know, that objection in part led to over 30 years ago, us stopping collecting 
uh, offerings through the, through the offering plate. If you're our guest this morning, there won't be an offering plate come by. And the reason for that is because we said, hey, we want to... Rem-. Listen, it wasn't because it's biblically wrong to pass the plate. It was because we said, hey, this is a stewardship that's expected of each one of us. It is a trust that God has given us to be faithful to give to his ministry. And so therefore, we're going to just expect... Expect it, and we're going to take away any kind of, any kind of, what do you call it, complaint, stumbling block that people might have by, and we can, we can say, hey, look, we don't even pass the plate. And I tell you, over 30 years, you won't believe how many people have commented on that, on that fact, that you, you and I have been faithful to give as God has enabled us to give, and he's met our needs. And, and here, here, here's what Paul says, we weren't motivated by greed. Evidently, 2,000 years ago, they were already accusing Paul and other Christian leaders of doing this for money. Now, let's be honest. There are people that, that are motivated by greed. I mean, I don't know everybody's heart. and I mean, no offense, but I think so often the prosperity gospel folks are motivated by greed. At least that's what it seems like to me from the outside. All right. So there are Christians that are motivated by greed. I get it. They're all about the money, all about the rich houses and all that kind of stuff. Paul says, I'm not motivated by money. Never took a dime from you guys. I, I, I did tent making almost everywhere I went so that I didn't have to take any money from you. Why? He said, I could have taken money from you, but I don't. Why not? Because I don't want to put a stumbling block in, in front of you. He says he didn't, he didn't flatter people with praise either. Why? Because he, he has no desire to motivate you by flattery, he says. I'm just telling you the truth. And, and, and folks, listen, if we're going to maximize our impact, we don't need to flatter anybody. We just need to tell people the truth. And we don't need to do it for any kind of, you know, money gain. I, I tell you, when I became a pastor, one of the first things that I, I made was a decision in my heart. I, I was going to try to not make money an issue in my life. And so I made some commitments early on so that I, I would be careful not to be motivated by money. So that it would be obvious I'm not motivated by money. I, I hope that's at least one thing that's true after all these years of being with you about money. I'm not motivated by that. John and Rachel left us. They're not motivated by money. John and Rachel are motivated by their love of Jesus and their love of God's people around the world. That's why they left us. Augusta is not motivated by money. That's why she left us to go to the world, right? They're not motivated by money. We don't need to be motivated by money as a church. Paul says, I'm not motivated by money. I'm not motivated by power or praise. None of that motivated me to speak the truth. I, I'm motivated. Remember the, remember the point just a minute ago? I'm motivated because I want to be faithful to God. I'm motivated because I want to please God. If we're, going, if we're going to marshal our greatest impact, it's got to be, and don't misunderstand me, you need to be motivated. You need to be motivated. It's just not money and praise that motivates you. What needs to motivate you is that you want to please the Lord with all your heart. You want to do what God wants you to do with all of your heart. Here's the fourth mark principle of people who turn the world upside down. Here's how we marshal our greatest impact. I love this one. It's a caring spirit. Oh, my goodness. As I listened to Nick Ripkin this morning, I didn't realize how what he said would dovetail with this point. But listen to what Paul says in verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as 
Christ apostles, meaning we could have taken money from you. You know, we could have, it, it could have cost you, could have been hard on you. Instead, we were gentle among you as a nursing mom nur- nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. I love this picture that Paul paints of himself and of his team. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the picture, it's what I want to be known as. It's what I, Jimmy, want to be known as. I want to be known as a person who cares. You know, and, uh, and, and this is why I guess I love this picture. And it's not necessarily a picture we men want to claim for ourselves. In our culture, anyway, this descriptor, descriptor, most men would say, no, no, that's more, that's more fitting for women. And I know I'm stereotyping, but nonetheless, men and women, here, if we're going to maximize our impact, we have got to be known as caring, gentle people. Look at the text. Instead, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you as nursing mothers nurture their own children. We cared so much for you. Strong, yes. Determined, absolutely. Zealous, beyond question. Impassioned, over the top. But gentle and kind at the same time. We are gentle, he says. And the Greek text there is even more picturesque. It's, it's this picture of a nursing mom nursing her child and just the the you know you, you've seen that face of a, of a new mom nurturing her child what it looks like just to, you see it in their face and I tell you what I, I don't look at many moms who are nursing right for the obvious reason but my my wife nurtured six that way and and I can remember when they were born I mean there there was often this this look of gentleness and tenderness that we've all seen in a nursing mom. That's what Paul says. We've got to care for people like that. A nursing mom is giving nourishment from her own body, directing it towards her children with tenderness. And I think Paul's choosing that picture on purpose because that's, that's what he says. Our caring and gentleness, you know, it needs to be something that out of us flows this, this caring for people that nurtures them and makes them strong. Now, caring in our, in our caring and gentleness in our uh, culture and generation, I, I hate to say that it's not all that well respected. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the last months and years, we tend to laud praise on strong, assertive leaders who punch back and fight. I contend with you that none of us like to be bullied and we'd all rather be loved. But caring, and so this caring idea of leadership, and here, here's what I know people are going to say to me, and I, I just, I'm just putting it out there, and you take it for whatever it's worth. People would say, well, that's, how, that's the kind of leader that we need in the church, but that's not the kind of leader we need in society and culture. I beg to differ. I think the kind of leaders that turn the world upside down are men and women who are strong and impassioned and assertive, but they are at the same time filled with compassion and caring and gentleness and tenderness. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you can be both, both in the church and in the culture. But regardless, if we're going to maximize our impact, we have got to be men and women who demonstrate caring for people. 
Did you not hear it in Nick Ripkin's message, those of you that were here? I'm sorry, I apologize to you, live stream people, and to you that didn't make it for the 931st session. But in this story that Nick told, I mean, it was just interwoven all through there that before we can ever make an impact on the, on the, on the culture around us, we have to be people who care who care, who literally are kind. And that's what we need to be in our community here if we want to turn the world upside down. I appreciate Greg's desire to care for some people who need help. I pre- you know, we're building a ramp. We haven't started yet, but we're going to build a ramp for a, for a family in our community that needs help. And they've called us several times. And they've tried to get help, and, and, and they need help. We're going to build this ramp here really soon. Can I tell you, that's, we need to be just doing these kind of things over and over and over again in our community because this is how we maximize our impact. We say to people around us, we literally want to care about you and your hurts and, and where, where you need help. We want to care. Listen, what is, it, what is it that John Maxwell used to say? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and I, this, is just, this is how Paul maximized his impact. This is how we need to do it too. Number five, sacrificial heart. Verse nine, for you remember our labor and our hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. We preached God's good news to you. And here's the point. Paul said we sacrifice tirelessly and diligently to not burden any of you, but to bless you. I, I, uh, we don't change the world with an apathetic heart. We don't change the world with a lukewarm conviction or a lukewarm engagement. I mean, we have to engage the world and work hard at it and serve like Jesus did. In fact, Jesus says to us, doesn't he? Well, let me talk about Jesus' service. I I didn't come into the world to be served, but I came into the world to serve and to what? Give my life as a ransom for many. I mean, I'm I'm leaving nothing on the table is what he tells us. I'm leaving nothing on the table. I'm telling you what, I, I, I find myself sometimes feeling like I just leave way too much on the table. I'm just way too apathetic in this, in this, in this kingdom of God thing that we are a part of. I'm it's not taking it serious enough. I'm not, I'm not sacrificing. I'm not working hard enough at, at what God has called us to do. Paul worked night and day. Last week, and I'm going to embarrass him, and it's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't know if he is, but last week, Lou Jones was up here several days, working diligently, scrubbing the carpets, getting coffee stains out. You know how many churches say you can't bring coffee in the worship center? Well, we're not one of them, and you guys aren't good with keeping it in your cups. And so uh, Lou was up here by himself, cleaning coffee stains. And I was talking to him about it, and I thanked him for it. And this is what Lou said to me. He said, Jimmy, I just want to be useful, and I just want to be a servant. A couple weeks before that, George Huber was up here scrubbing the vinyl siding, getting the mold off the front of the building, power washing, trimming bushes. I point these to these two men for this reason, not to embarrass them, and not because those were isolated things, but because they do that kind of thing all the time, and y'all don't even know about it. They, they diligently serve. 
Lou, Lou told me, and again, I'm going to go back to Lou, but Lou told me, he, this is what he said, his words, and this is a paraphrase, but it's really close. He felt like that God created him to serve. And he said, when he's serving, my heart is full. You know, when we're serving too often, we're complaining and griping about it. We're talking about how difficult it is and why isn't anybody else up here serving and why isn't anybody else doing this? And, and I'm telling you, Paul said, we turned the world upside down because we labored so we didn't have to burden any of you. Could have taken money, could have taken money from you guys to pay for our rent and board because the worker is worthy of, of, the, of the support, Paul tells someone else. But he never took it. And he did not take it when he, he was working as a tent maker, so he didn't have to take anything, so as not to burden people. Here's how we maximize our impact. I mean, we give ourselves to the ministry and we work hard at it. Number six, I'm almost in seven of them. Here's number six principle, a blameless life, life, verse 10. You are witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and righteously and blamelessly we conduct ourselves uh, with you believers. If the first accusation is money against us, the second is that we are hypocrites and that the morality of our lives is just a, a sham. That we, we say one thing and we live another. And way too often we have proven that uh, accusation to be true. People of the world who suppress the truth of God, they, they love when you and I fail. They love when you and I don't live out our faith because it just gives them reason to suppress your message. It gives them an excuse to suppress your message because, because you have failed. And that's why sexual misconduct, greed and stealing, lying, it's why all of these things are so devastating because our life either backs up our message or our life destroys our message. It's, it's one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're either destroying the message or you're building the message with your life. And if you bear the name of Jesus, people will never, and people who never come to church, they will say there should be something different about you if you name the name of Jesus. They expect you to be different. They expect you to live a holy life. They expect you to, to not do the same things that everyone else does. And this is why people, when they represent us as the kingdom of God, it's why I at least want to hold them to a higher expectation. I want to hold them to a higher thing. Now, now listen, blameless doesn't mean perfect. And listen, all of us are going to stumble. All of us are going to fail. All of us are going to trip up. Uh, you know, I'm, and God, does God expect perfection of us? Answer me. Does he? Absolutely. He expects perfection of us. D does he know that we cannot be perfect? Absolutely. That's why Jesus came and died for us, the perfect one. Okay? So, but this is, blamelessness doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean that there's no truthful, serious accusation against you that stands. It means living in such a way that you are above reproach. And that's a high standard, but it's what God calls us to. If we're going to maximize our impact, we've got to do that, guys. We've got to do that. Number seven, and finally, this is how we marshal our greatest impact. Number seven. We have to be a constant encouragement to one another. Amen. Verse 11. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged and comforted and implored each one of you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. 
Uh, this is the final key, I, I think, that Paul gives them as to why he impacted them, why he's impacted the world. And it is that we have to be constantly encouraging each other in this kingdom work. Paul says uh, he was caring like a mother. And then he adds, and I'm encouraging like a dad. Now, it's not that moms aren't encouraging, and it's not that dads aren't caring. And I know maybe Paul is stereotyping, maybe I am uh, stereotyping. But uh, dads, listen, dads are more likely to push their children further along where moms are going to be more likely to be the caring person to, to help them when they fall. And maybe I'm stereotyping, but I think that's anecdotally true. The dads are the ones who are throwing their sons five feet up into the air and catching them. And the mother's the one over there saying, stop, stop, right? Why? Because there's, there's, God's made us different. We're complementarian, you know. Men and women are different regardless of what our culture says. And, um, and so Paul says, man, I'm like a mom. I, I tenderly, kindly care for people. And I'm like a dad. I'm encouraging and I'm imploring and I'm pressing and I'm pushing you. And what's he pushing us to do? He says, I'm pushing you to live a life worthy of God, to walk the walk, to, to, to walk your talk, to, to live in light of the kingdom of God and its glory. Now, I tell you what, I've always wanted to be a cheerleader in the family of God. I'm not talking about as a pastor. I think as a pastor, maybe that's one of my responsibilities, maybe. But before I was a pastor, I wanted to be, just in the body of Christ, I wanted to be a cheerleader. I wanted to be, I wanted to help my brothers and sisters along. I wanted to be encouraging and imploring them, just as another brother. And sometimes I think, listen, no, not, not I think. I want to say to all of you, I'm not the only cheerleader in the family. In fact, I think if what I'm saying is true, and you judge whether it is or isn't, but if this is how we maximize our impact to change the world, both here and abroad, all of you need to become cheerleaders. All of you need to become the person who's pressing the other person along to holiness and godliness and choosing and, and sharing the story and being faithful to share the story and caring about people and all of that kind of thing. You need to be a cheerleader. So I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Who are you cheering on? Who are you cheering on? Is there anybody that you're cheering on? Or, or who, who, when was the last time you cheered somebody on? We need to be cheerleaders for one another. And I tell you what, can you imagine a family? I mean, that's how my family, I think this is how my immediate family is. I think my kids are cheerleaders to one another. Can you imagine if all of us were cheerleaders to each other? The old cheering the young along, the young encouraging the old along, all of us in the middle cheering each other on. That's how we maximize our impact. I do not want to be a follower of Jesus who is apathetic and just simply floats passively along in this life. I've never wanted to be that since I began following Jesus. I don't want to be self-absorbed, but I confess to you, so I feel that way sometimes, that I'm, just, I'm too just self-absorbed, too focused on on my stuff. And, and, and I think if we're going to change the world and turn it upside down, we've got to reject that. 
And with a full heart and a, and, a, and a passionate heart, a sacrificial heart, we need to say, Lord, use us to change Surrey, Alawite, and the ends of the world. Here's my closing thought. Take personal responsibility to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus. Do it not for what you get out of it. Do it because you love God and you love people. Be a caring person. Be an encouraging person. Live your life as an example of the one who, whom you claim to follow. It's easy to stumble. If you stumble, get up. Be blameless. And give yourself to this life with sacrifice, labor, hard. It's not easy. But it'll be worth having loved Jesus enough to live for him with all your heart. Let's go turn the world upside down. Let's start right here. Right here at home. Let's pray. God, take these words of Paul as he gives his own testimony of how he was with those Thessalonican people. And as I prayed already, or as I said earlier, Lord, rivet them to our hearts. Lord, may we leave here this morning just desirous to live these seven principles out in our life. Lord, show us where we're failing. Show us where we're weak. Show us where we're flawed. And then, Lord, help us to make changes. Help us to make changes so that we'll be different. Lord, use us to turn the world topsy-turvy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.